Hey, this is Pastor Arm, and I want to thank you for joining me today for the Activation Church podcast. We are here so that people can activate their life in Christ, and I believe this message is going to help you go further than ever before. Check it out. If you have your Bible, turn it to Luke, the 10th chapter. I'm going to start reading in the 25th verse, and today we're starting a new series called Discover Activation where we're going to be talking about who we are as a church. What, what do we hold valuable? What is our culture? And I want you to understand that every person, every family, every business, restaurant, hotel, whatever it is, has a culture. And your culture will either be established on purpose or by accident. You'll either establish your culture intentionally or you will establish a culture unintentionally. And your culture is very important it doesn't matter how good your programs are it doesn't matter how how good your planning is if you don't have a good culture you won't have a healthy business healthy family or a healthy church so as a part of the series i want to let you know what is our culture who are we i want i want these things to be a reminder to you of of what we value as activation church and i'm going to start by looking at luke the 10th chapter and the 25th verse And I'm going to spin this passage in a way that I've never heard taught before. But let's dive in as Jesus is talking to a lawyer who's trying to test him. The Bible says, and behold, a lawyer stood up to test him, saying, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, what's written in the law? How do you read it? How do you understand it? How do you comprehend it? And he answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus responds to this guy saying, you have answered correctly, do this, and you will live. But the the lawyer, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? In other words, I want to find the loopholes. I think a lot of times as Christians, we want to know, like, what are the loopholes? Like, how far can I go before it's too far? Like, uh, what can I do to get away with it? Or or in some cases, what's the bare minimum I need to do in order to please God? I don't know why we're like that, but that's how we are. We want to do the bare minimum, and that's what this guy is getting at with Jesus. He's like, okay, so you say love your neighbor, but let's define who the neighbor is, because obviously I don't want to love everyone. I mean, there's got to be some kind of limit to this love thing. You'll see that Peter comes to Jesus and he's like, how many times should I really forgive someone? I mean, I've heard you talk about forgiveness, but I've forgiven that person. There you go. And he says, I've forgiven this person a few times. Is that enough? And Jesus goes, no, it's not enough. You got to continue doing it. There's no limit. And I want to develop a church of people who are no limit people. Anything that we do for the kingdom of God, we go all in full tilt. One of our core values here is anything worth doing is worth overdoing. If it's not worth it to you to go all in, then don't do it at all. Like if we're going to do a vacation Bible school at this church, it's going to be the best vacation Bible school that we can put on. It's not going to just be just enough or, or the kids coming, oh, they don't really care. They won't really pay. No, if it's worth doing, it's worth overdoing. I want a people who live that way and think that way. If we're going to do it for the kingdom of God, he deserves our best, not halfway. I'm not going to be the guy at the pool just dipping my toe in the water. Too many of us, 
we get around this thing called the church and we want to dip our toe in the water. You know, is that enough? Is that good? Now I want to be like the little kid that doesn't matter what time of year it is, they don't even check the water before they go. They just go full tilt all the way in. And so this guy says, who's my neighbor? I can't love everyone, Jesus. So who's my neighbor? I need, I need a definition to this. And Jesus replied with the story saying, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So this religious guy, this leader of the church, he's coming and he sees this man who's been beaten up, left half dead, and instead of going to him, he goes to the other side of the road, turns a blind eye, and keeps on moving. Then Jesus says, another guy comes by, he's a, a, a Levite, and he does the same thing. When he sees the man, he goes to the other side, and he keeps on moving like he doesn't see anything, but a Samaritan. Someone say, but a Samaritan. As he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. He comes to him, he binds up his wounds, and then he pours on the oil and the wine. He mixes the oil and the wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn to take care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper saying, take care of him and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Now Jesus says, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? And he said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, now you go and do Likewise, my great-grandfather pastored a church during the time of great civil unrest and segregation. And because of that, most of the churches within their community were either an all-white church or an all-black church. And my great-grandfather didn't really like the picture of that. And he found out about a black gentleman who used to come clean the church that would sneak in and sit on the stairs to the basement just to hear my great-grandfather preach. And as soon as he found out about this, Frank, he went and found the guy, and he said, I want you to come up into the sanctuary. You're not going to sit on the stairs and listen to the sermon. You're going to sit in the chair just like everyone else, and you're going to listen to the sermon. And because of that, he broke a barrier and a divide that other people had that they had placed where they said, hey, we're going to be this kind of church, or we're going to look like this. He said, no, we're going to look like heaven. We're going to be made up of all kinds of of people. My grandfather pastored a church at the time of the hippie movement. And as their church began to grow, these hippies started coming into the church. They had long hair. They would come in in their cut-off blue jeans. They, some of them would come in barefoot, and they would come and sit at the front of the cha- uh, service on the floor. And I mean, can you imagine how odd that must be? I mean, back then, this is a time when if you came to church, You wore a suit and a tie. The ladies wore the dresses. They had the hats on. And now all of a sudden, this person that looks like they haven't bathed in a month, that probably reek of cigarette and marijuana and probably alcohol, are now coming into your church and sitting on the floor. And everybody's looking around like, what are we going to do about this? And my grandfather says, we're going to love them. We're going to minister to them. Because here's the deal. You don't get to choose who your neighbor is. That's what Jesus is trying to show this guy. This guy's like, 
Hey, who's, who's my neighbor? Who is it that I love? Who is it that I, I have compassion on? Who is it that I help? Who is it that I pray for? And Jesus is trying to say, whoever you come into contact with, they may not look like you. They may not think like you. They may not talk like you. They may not dress like you. They may not vote like you. But if you come into contact with them, that's your neighbor. You don't get to choose who your neighbor is, but you do get to choose who you have compassion on. One of our values here at this church is every single person is valuable. No matter where you've come from and no matter what you look like, you matter to me because you matter to Jesus. And when we all come together, that's when we get a true picture of what the church looks like. Red, yellow, black, white, tall, short, skinny, fat, we're all precious and we are all valuable. And so as a church, as Activation Church, we are going to put a high value on all kinds of people. And so this guy, he comes and he has compassion and he begins to bind up his wounds, but he doesn't just bind up his wounds. He does something that, I, that really jumped out to me where he pours on the oil and the wine. And there's a lot of things that you could go into with the oil and the wine and the significance. But what I saw was something old and something new, something fresh and something aged being mixed together to bring healing to this man who's been broken. And I started thinking about the value of not just new things, not just new ideas, not just new strategies, but also the value of things that are old because they're both valuable in their own way. You know, olive oil, it's best when it's fresh. It's best when it's new. And there's nothing better than going to a restaurant where they serve you the bread with a plate with the oil on it and they put the, and you dip the bread. I mean, that's like heaven on earth to a fat boy. You know what I'm saying? And so I love that. So oil is better when it's fresh. Oil is better when it's new. But wine, good wine, is better when it's been aged a little bit. And so now we're seeing this new thing, this fresh thing, this oil being mixed with this wine, something aged. And as they come together, then they do something beautiful. And I realized we're going to be a church that celebrates the old and the new. You know, some churches in their attempt to become relevant, they decide they're going to discard things that actually have biblical value. I heard it said, and I didn't hear the pastor say this, but I heard it said that a pastor said that he knew Kevin Bacon. No, I'm just kidding. I heard it. <laughs> so there's seven degrees of separation between them. But I heard it said that this pastor said, we don't use the R word in our church, referring to repentance. And I thought that's really dumb. Because repentance is necessary. You may see it as an old word, like, oh, that's, that's a worn out word, and we're going to be relevant. We don't use words like repentance, hashtag, cool church. But you're getting rid of the only thing that can bring you into the kingdom of God. You're getting rid of the only thing that the Bible says can bring times of refreshing from the Holy Spirit. It is repentance where we come to God and we say, I need you, and we turn from the direction that we are in into the direction he's taking us. That we turn from the old things, and we begin to walk into the new things. That our mind is transformed. That happens through repentance. And you may not like the word, and you may think it's a little old school, but it's necessary. 
It's, it's, we can't just throw it out because it seems old. There are, there are some churches that at one point in time they valued a move of the Holy Spirit. They had high value on the gifts of the Spirit operating within their church, but now in an attempt to become relevant and cool, they, they've decided we'll build this thing based upon personality and stage presence. We'll get the lights, we'll get the band right, we'll get, we'll get the fog right, and we'll reach more people and we won't offend anyone because we're not going to do certain things in our church. And that's foolishness because it is the Holy Spirit that brings transformation to the people. You've got to allow the Holy Spirit to move whether you like what that looks like or not, whether that bothers you or not. And sometimes, depending on how you were raised, it may freak you out a little bit. You know, when Jesus comes into the town and he finds the man that's full of demons and he sends the demons out of the man into the pigs and the pigs run off and kill themselves, the people of the town don't rejoice that the man's been set free. They're freaked out and they say, hey, get out of here. So I've got a choice, like do we build a church based upon programs and stage presence or do we build something based upon the presence of God where he can move? And I would say that's the only thing that's valuable because apart from the Holy Spirit, we're just another gathering, no different than a baseball game or a football game or a basketball game. We can get loud, we can dance, we can shout, we can do some good deeds, we can feed some hungry people, but without the power of the Holy Spirit, there will be no transformation. And here's a problem that we are experiencing within the church globally right now is there are people who go to church, there are people who serve on teams, but there's no transformation because we have removed the Holy Spirit from his church. And that's not a church at all. The Bible says unless the Lord builds the house, those who labor are laboring in vain, which means we can do what we are doing in vain and it doesn't matter how many people show up. It's worthless without the Holy Spirit. So we put high value here on the Spirit of God moving however he wants. And I don't have any preconceived ideas of what that is. See, some people have preconceived ideas of what it looks like for the Spirit of God to move. And if someone didn't run around the church, then the Spirit of God didn't move today. If someone didn't fall down, the Spirit of God didn't move today. If, you're, if your service was less than an hour, the Spirit of God didn't move I don't know where we got on this thing where church service has to be a certain length. Some people want it less than an hour. Some people want it three or four hours because without that, God's not moving. You're not, Elijah spoke, it was like what, 63 words, something like that in the 60s and fire came down from heaven. God doesn't need to take a lot of time to do what he wants to do. He can do it very quickly. Sometimes there are moments where the spirit of God to start moving in a place and things may carry on and I celebrate those times too but I'm not going to do it just because someone thinks that's what God a spirit a move of the spirit looks like so my idea and my concept as a pastor is God you do whatever you want to do if you want to interrupt the worship for me to pray for people I'll do that if you want me to move on and do the sermon I'll do that if you want me to preach the sermon sit down and shut up I'll do that it doesn't matter to me because he's in charge and I've learned that God can do more God can do more in a moment of him moving than I can do in a lifetime of my effort. So the spirit of God is valuable. We can't remove the gifts. We can't remove the freedom for the spirit of God to move. Another thing that's become popular within churches, and I've sat around tables with pastors, and I gotta be very careful when, I'm, when I sit with pastors because I'm fourth generation 
and I, you know, I grew up all around pastors, and I've, I've been with some of the biggest pastors in the nation. I, I've sat at tables with them. I've swam in their pools. I've been around it. So when I'm with some of these guys and I hear them say foolishness, I've got to be careful to not just say my Tourette's kicks in and be like, oh, you're stupid. <laughs> you know, I've got to be very careful. If that offends you, I'm sorry. <laughs> but this one pastor one day, he said, uh, you know, we, we, don't, we don't teach tithing at our church. We, we call it generosity. And that's a popular thing because generosity, is, it's more palatable to people than talking about tithe. But did you know that tithing and generosity are two completely different things biblically? They're not the same. Tithing is not being generous. Not biblically. If you want to look at a biblical definition, tithing is 10% that belongs to the Lord. The Bible says that the tithe is holy unto me, Right? And so when we tithe, all we are doing is returning to the Lord the portion that he says belongs to me. It's not generosity. You're not giving him anything. You're returning to him. It'd be like me leaving town this week, Anthony, and saying, hey, man, I'm going to be out of town for the week, so I'm going to give you my, my truck keys, and uh, you can use it, take your family, do whatever you want with it. I'll be back next Saturday. And you going out, enjoying your time, driving my truck around town, and then next Saturday when I get back in town, you come back to my house and you're like, you know, Pastor Arm, my family and I have been talking, we've been praying, and we've decided we want to give you these truck keys. You're like, you're not giving me nothing. You're returning what belongs to me. Generosity, generosity is up and above a tithe, and that can happen through an offering, that can happen through an alm, which is helping those who are in need. Are you following me? So like when you, if, if you see somebody who's in need and you help them get some food or you put some, some food in the, the food pantry back there, that's generosity. If you see like, you know, I've been paying my tithe and we've got something going on and I want to help support it up and above that, that's generosity. Tithing is tithing. Generosity is generosity. They're two different things. So in my effort to be relevant, I can't drop things that are valuable to the truth of scripture. Does that make sense? Just to please people, because again, just getting a group of people together isn't a big deal. I could pat this place out today. I guarantee you, I promise you, I promise you I could put a thousand people on this property. You give me enough time to promote it, I could put a thousand people on this property and it would mean nothing. All I'd have to do is get a good band, some fireworks and some beer and the people will show up. I know how to get people. I've done stuff. I used to promote stuff. I know how to gather people, but it means nothing if the Spirit of God's not moving. So I can't bend the truth just because I think it's old school and try to make things more palatable to you so that you'll come to church. The truth is truth, and it's always valuable. Amen? Amen. So as a church, I want to honor those things that are older, those traditions of our, er our early church fathers, the foundation that they lived on, I'm not coming to destroy the foundation and build a new home. I'm building, the Bible teaches that we are building on the foundation laid by them, not creating something new. And so I will celebrate, as a church, we will celebrate those things that are valuable and old, but just because it's old doesn't mean it's valuable. And just because it's a tradition doesn't mean it's a good tradition. Am I right? There are some traditions that churches hold dear to, that they should cut loose of so that they can grow and continue doing what God has called them to do. Because although the message stays the same, methods do change. Trends change, styles change, what people like and don't like change. I mean, there's a reason you're not wearing bell bottoms and an afro today. 
It's because the trend has changed a little bit. I look back to even some of the stuff that, that Randy and I were involved in in the, the late 90s, early 2000s in ministry, and some of the stuff that we were doing then that was like so cutting edge and that like kids loved and like all these kids would show up weekly to see happen, like wouldn't work now. You know why? Because it's a different time. It's a different season. And so we got to be willing to change. Because just because it's a tradition doesn't mean it's good. And I was thought about the story this morning where there was this woman who was going to cook her new husband a ham. And before she put it in the oven, she cut off two sides of the ham. And the husband said, why don't you do that? Why would you cut off the two ends of the ham? And she said, well, that's the way my mom always did it. So the husband wasn't satisfied with that. He goes to the mom and he says, why do you cut off both ends of the ham before you put it in the oven? She said, you know, I've never really thought about it. It's just the way my mom always did it. So he goes to the grandmother and he's like, Mima, why do you cut off both ends of the ham before you put it in the oven? She goes, well, my roasting pan wasn't big enough to hold the whole ham, so I had to cut off. That was a tradition that was passed on generation to generation that it was okay for the grandmother because it was necessary. But it's foolish for us to follow it. So there are some things with the, even within the church culture that was great for a time, and I celebrate that time, but I'm thankful that we're in a new season. And I can't hinder the new thing God wants to do because I'm so married to the old way of doing things. Are you hearing what I'm saying? I can't be so married to the way it was that I can't experience the new thing that God wants to do. Remember, the message never changes, but the methods do. The message never changes, but the strategy must always stay relevant. And so what do we do as a church? Do we get rid of all the old so that we can just get all the new? No. Do we only do new things? No. We see both as viable. Not just within traditions and strategies, but also within the demographic of people. You know, when I first started the church, I met with a, a church planner. And he said, you need to figure out who your target audience is. And he said, you got to be specific. He said, you know, as churches, we'll be like, well, I want to reach all people. He said, but you need to be specific. Like, what age group are you wanting to reach? What color are you wanting to reach? What economical, uh, economic status are you wanting to reach? You need to know because then you can lean into that. And I get, I get what he's saying. And I understand that there are certain programs and personalities that are going to draw certain people. I mean, there are certain people that just, they're not going to like me. Believe it or not. Did you know that? There are certain people, they're not going to like me. There are certain people that don't like, won't like my personality. Thankfully, it's none of you, or maybe it is a few. I don't know. There are certain people that may not like the programs that we do, and that's okay. That's why there's all different kinds of churches that do all different kinds of things. I can't be someone I'm not. I've got to be who I am. Like, the reason we do this, the style of music that we do is not because we're trying to be hip and be relevant. It's because this is what this band is good at. Like, if you wanted them to do Southern Gospel, it would be a train wreck. There's nothing worse. Well, maybe John can pull it off. John grew up around there. But nothing's worse than hearing a musician play outside of their vein. Are you following me? I mean, I'm a very good bass player. But I'm only very good in the vein that I can play in. You put me in the wrong vein, you'll be like, well, this, this kid has no idea what he's doing. So 
so, so what I'm saying is I understand what people are trying to say and there's different personalities, different programs that people are gonna like and dislike. I got that, but I'm not gonna design our culture to reach any individual person or age group because I believe they're all valuable and they're all necessary. I don't need a church full of just young people and young families. I don't need a church just full of those who are more seasoned in life. We need a church that's both. And so this man, he takes the oil, the wine, something older, something fresh, something aged, something new, and he doesn't use them separately. He mixes them together. That's what, to me, will make our church so special and so unique. It's not only our love for one another and the love for the community, but when people come in and they see the older and the younger working together. Because the younger people come in with this energy and this enthusiasm for life and ministry that is valuable and needed because it puts a fire under some of us who are a little more seasoned. And I think that I can call myself a little more seasoned now at this point in my life. It puts a fire on us. It energizes us. I mean, being a part of VBS last week, as tiring as it can be to come every night, there's something exciting about just being around those kids and seeing them dance and sing that I need. And so we need that. We need that energy. We need that excitement. But we also need the wisdom and understanding and the foundation of those who are a little more vintage in life and understand it's all of us working together, being mixed together that makes us valuable. Somebody say it's got to be together. Can't be separate. So the way I see it is no matter how old you are, you're valuable. No matter how young you are, you're valuable. In Scripture, God used young people and he used old people. And it doesn't, you know, there's no expiration date on your gift. Some of us, we want to be like, well, you know, I've I've been there, done that. It's time for someone else to come in and take, take over. That's not how it works. Here's how it does work. I've been there, I've done that, I've got the wisdom and I've got the experience. Now I'm gonna run alongside those who are coming up under me so that they know how to run well so that when I do go, and that doesn't mean I go and find another church, it's when Jesus comes and takes me. Once I'm gone, they can continue running. It, it is a shame when people just drop the ball and stop where they are and don't keep on running and training those that are coming up under because one, here's how it works. If you're not bringing in new and your church is only vintage, eventually that's gonna die off. If your church is only new and you're only doing things to appeal to them, eventually the wine gets old, I mean the oil gets old. I've, I've starting to see that in my life. Like I, there was a time that I was relevant to a younger people that I'm not as relevant anymore. Like you may think that I am, and I thought I was. Until you get around them, you start working with them, you say, man, things change, so what do I need? I need people up under me. Gee, I need people like you and your brother who are relevant to be working. And that was so cool this week at VBS to see the middle schoolers and high schoolers working and helping out. That's what it's all about, all of us working together. The oil and the wine mixed together, the young and the old mixed together, working together to fulfill the purpose of God. And that's when we look like the body. Not when it's just all old or just all young or all white or all black or all Hispanic or all. That's not it. It's, what, it's all, all races and all ages being one church. So what do I hold value? 
in. I hold value in seeing a diverse group of people. I hold value in looking around and seeing people of all ages. I hold value in looking around and seeing people who don't look like me that didn't come from where I came from or didn't even go through the things that I've gone through. Because your story is valuable and your gifts are valuable. That's the oil and the wine being mixed together. Listen, church, if we'll take this, this concept moving forward and realize that we've all got value, we've got to celebrate one another, we have to honor one another, we have to work with one another, we have to give with one another, even if there's a, a difference of personalities, and if you're around a church long enough, you'll find that, hey, my personality doesn't really click with yours. I'm not talking about me and you, I'm saying like, you may get on a team and you're like, it's not really someone I'd like to vacation with, but we can move beyond that and love them, <laughs> love them anyway. You know what I'm saying? That's when we start moving in power. I wanna pray for everyone who's watching online. And I want to uh, encourage you to find a church. You know, online ministry is a great tool and it was necessary for a time, but if you're able to be in a physical location, you need to, whether it's here or somewhere else, because your purpose and your destiny can never be accomplished on the couch because that's not where you were called to. You were called to a body of believers to work together, young, old, black, white, all kinds of people working together. And so I ask that God would touch you right now and help you help you find that place. Father, in the name of your son, Jesus Christ, I ask that you would move in their heart and in their life. Lord, draw them to the place that you've called them to be a part of so that they can benefit your kingdom and walk in their purpose. In Jesus' name, amen.